Today, Israel takes a big step towards peace. This decision will protect Israel's security, ensure Israel's national interests, and leave open the possibility of a political settlement with the Palestinians in the coming years. Mr. President, I hope the Palestinians embrace your vision of peace. Two and a half years after the US administration of President Donald Trump began drafting a plan for a lasting peace deal between Israel and Palestine, it's finally here. Long delayed and often described as dead on arrival, the proposal was roundly rejected by Palestinian officials even before it was released. The announcement on January 28th was met with anger on the streets of the West Bank. Countries around the world have reacted. While many have welcomed the effort to restart long-dead talks, the praise wasn't effusive. But what has Trump proposed? Why has it been rejected? And what happens now? This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young, the National's foreign editor. And we're asking, what does the Trump plan mean for Palestine and Israel? Over the last seven decades, there have been three regional wars, two intifadas, 13 US presidents, and half a dozen serious peace plans since the creation of Israel. But still no solution to the ongoing conflict. The last talks ended without result seven years ago, with Israel rejecting concessions and stubbornness on both sides. But US attempts to find a negotiated settlement have always faced a major hurdle impartiality. The US gives Israel billions of dollars a year for security, and the two countries have close relations. So they've never been seen in Ramallah as a neutral party. On the flip side, US negotiators have been accused of not doing enough to leverage those strong links with Israel or the financial contributions to push for concessions. Despite dozens of peace initiatives and countless conferences, no settlement has ever been reached. Then comes the Trump plan, officially called Peace to Prosperity, a vision to improve the lives of Palestinian and Israeli people. Here's Joyce Karam, the National's Washington correspondent, to break down the main points and how it departs from past efforts by America. Uh, past US presidents like George H. Bush, George W. Bush, or Bill Clinton, or Jimmy Carter convened uh, the parties, and that's how an agreement uh, was reached. For example, uh, Camp David, uh, for example, Oslo. Uh, with the Trump team, they're starting from the very end, and they're starting without the Palestinians, who were not at the announcement yesterday. Uh, they're also presenting their own settlement uh, for the final status issue between Israel and Palestine. So that's very different from what we've seen in the last uh, four decades of uh, U.S. peacemaking in, in the region. On substance, it's a large document, but it also departs from previous U.S. positions, such as the Clinton parameters or even the George W. Bush roadmap. For example, it doesn't touch uh, settlements in the West Bank and keeps Jerusalem as a united capital uh, for Israel. 
uh, it sees uh, Israel uh, has a right to enforce its laws uh, on the Jordan ver um, in the Jordan Valley. So all these aspects are very problematic for Arab partners, and it's hard to see this flying as a solution. Taken in isolation, the Trump administration has clearly tried to offer a top line to Palestinians that they can stomach. The proposal, detailed in a 181-page report, sets out a path for an independent state of Palestine, with East Jerusalem as its capital. It includes details like Israel agreeing to release many of the thousands of Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails. But there are catches. First, the crucial one. What kind of state and on what territory is the US proposing? Since the Oslo Accords began the peace process in 1992, the starting point for negotiations has been a Palestinian state on 1967 borders. In Trump's plan, that's nowhere in sight. The second, how clear a path is Trump offering? The plan lays out a four-year period for Palestinians to mull the deal, start talks and begin implementing reforms that Washington wants to see as a condition for statehood. But exactly what those criteria are and how exactly they'll meet them isn't always entirely clear. Then there's what Trump is offering Israel. Washington will recognise the Jewish settlements in the West Bank that much of the world see as illegal under international law. Jerusalem, he says, will also be the undivided capital of Israel. A formality, since Trump already did this in December 2017. And just as a side note, this highlights one of the central issues in the plan. He's recognising Jerusalem as the undivided capital of Israel, but also promising East Jerusalem as the capital of a Palestinian state. The reality is the area to make up a Palestinian capital isn't actually in Jerusalem. Abu Dis is a rundown neighbourhood on the outskirts of the Holy City, and it's a poor substitute for Jerusalem as the capital for a Palestinian state. Within hours of the announcement, the Israeli cabinet was already setting a date to vote on applying Israeli law to Jewish settlements in the West Bank. The move would be the first step towards formal annexation of the settlements along the Jordan Valley and the West Bank. These territories Israel has kept under military occupation since they were captured in the 1967 Middle East War, and which Palestinians seek for a future state. Trump has offered billions of dollars to the future Palestinian state to develop, build businesses and thrive, as he puts it. Palestinians, however, say their right to self-determination is not for sale. All these projects declared by Trump and his recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital, it will never work. These projects are not suitable for Palestinian aspirations to have an independent Palestinian state with Jerusalem. We call on the United Nations to hold an urgent meeting to reject this deal. We reject this deal. One of the main issues here for Palestinians is there hasn't been a dialogue. Trump has drafted his vision while only speaking to Tel Aviv. Omar Shaban is an analyst with the Gaza-based think tank PalThink for Strategic Studies. Such a plan should be between two sides, and the Palestinian side was not consulted, was not on the process of developing this plan, 
and such a plan cannot be implemented without the involvement of the Palestinians. So it depends, I think, the American should have different approach by, organize, for example, organizing an international conference for to resume the peace process when everybody can be involved, not only the Palestinian and Israeli, but also the Arab, major Arab countries and some other countries to be in a, I mean, to hold a peace process, a peace conference in Washington or somewhere else to resume the peace talks between Israel and the Palestinians. But with annexation likely to go ahead, it may be that Israel will simply cement a reality on the ground under the cover of the US plan that makes any alternative impossible. Maybe some parts of it will be implemented, like an extension of the settlement here and there, but this is, uh, the international law is against this. So I think Palestinians count on, on time, and maybe they think or they believe or they hope that Trump will not win next time in election 2020. So another leadership in America might come. Already Sanders and the other candidates for the presidency rejected the plan. Uh, some the political the political parties in America also they don't see this plan as a as a plan to enhance peace. So it's already the plan has a lot of rejection inside America and even inside Israel. Here's Hugh Lovett, a policy fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations and an expert on the Israel-Palestine conflict. Uh, I would say almost in the best case scenario is the formalization of the current reality, so where Palestinians have uh, self-government. Uh, and certain trappings of statehood, but are devoid of uh, any meaningful uh, sovereignty. Um, President Trump, in outlining his vision, uh, has touted his plan as a means of achieving a realistic uh, two-state solution and giving Palestinians statehood and a prosperous uh, future. Um, But behind the smoke and mirrors, actually what the Americans have come up with is something far different. Um, What they're proposing is, in effect, uh, a formalization of the current reality uh, and the entrenchment of a one-state reality of unequal rights for Palestinians and open-ended occupation. As Joyce mentioned, the Trump administration is starting backwards with the plan, coming up with a solution and then trying to get the Palestinians on board. Hugh expanded on this. So I think this is one of the the ways in which the, uh, the American approach Uh, differs uh, from past efforts. Um, And so what we see here is much more the Americans uh, trying to impose the terms of uh, an agreement. But far from imposing these terms on on both sides, what they're actually doing is is imposing this on on the Palestinians. And basically, from the Palestinian point of view, uh, you know, this is seen very much as a a forced surrender as a bankruptcy deal. And so the Palestinians have to pay immediate costs for very uncertain gains, uh, while Israel reaps all of the rewards uh, in the, the short term. And so the Palestinians have not at all been consulted on this. Part of that is uh, you know, the severing of relations uh, following the U.S. recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. But I think it feeds much more into the, the Trump administration's own thinking and their view as very much the inferior party upon which terms must be dictated. But what of the plan itself? So I think if the plan was judged purely on its merits, on the substance of the vision and the outcome it would 
produce, I think this plan would be roundly rejected. However, I think the, the reaction of, of European states and, and other states, and, and to be quite frank, also uh, states in the Arab world, has a bit less to do with the Palestinians and much more to do with how they're seeking to, to manage their own relationship with the Trump administration. And these relations, which are predicated on, on uh, common security concerns, uh, I think have a, a priority over the Palestinian issue. So what we've seen are, are European governments um, and, and some Arab governments and others come out with, a, I would say, placeholding statements, basically saying that they will uh, study the proposal. Uh, but even in these statements, we've seen such as the UK and others that have even gone as far as to praise the Trump, uh, to praise the Trump plan for its seriousness. Um, and even saying, you know, this could be a, a useful means for uh, relaunching negotiations. And again, you know, when one looks at the plan, that is not that is not possible um, for the reasons due to substance, but also the structure in terms of how the Americans even want to set up these negotiations and the asymmetry that it that it uh, reinforces. And these are the issues that you know have existed for a while and have led to the failure of previous rounds of negotiations. So if the proposal, at least for the Palestinian side, is a non-starter, are people on the streets of the West Bank or Gaza hopeful that after decades a solution can still be reached? Here's Omar again. They are losing hope that real peace will happen, having in mind, having in mind all this development in the region, the Palestinian divide, the lack of attention by the EU to the Palestinian cause because there are so many other problems emerged in the Europe. They know that the Palestinian cause is not anymore in the top of the agenda of the international community. So they are not hopeful, they are not very optimistic that peace will come now. But at least the Palestinians say if, it's this, if any plan is not fair, they're not going to sign it. And I don't think any peace can happen in the Middle East without the approval of the Palestinians. So the Palestinians believe that there will be one day something better will come for them. They don't believe it's not, it will come tomorrow or next week or next, or next year. But there is no other option. While Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is celebrating the deal and his main rival Benny Gantz of the Blue and White Party says he also supports it, Hugh says it's not without its risks. While Trump was clear that his plan won't risk Israeli security, it might force the country to reckon with a fundamental aspect of its character. I mean, for me, the outcome of that is not a win-win situation for Israel. The outcome to me is um, further annexation. It's the entrenchment, and I think we need to be very honest and very frank, which is a, a system based on dual legal systems, based on uh, a discriminatory system that favors Israeli Jews over their Palestinian neighbors, and that has all the hallmarks of apartheid. And so in that situation, I think, you know, we have to ask serious questions for uh, what this means, not just for Palestinian self-determination, but also for Israel. Do Israelis choose, uh, you know, to safeguard their, uh, their Jewish characteristics, in which case that will require open-ended military rule over the Palestinians? Or do they choose to safeguard Israel's democratic soul, extend equal rights to Palestinians? but lose their Jewish majority in the country. If there's one iconic image from the peace process, it's a photograph from 1993 of then-US President Bill Clinton framed by the chairman of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, Yasser Arafat, 
and Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin shaking hands. The shot was taken after the first peace accords between Israel and the PLO. 27 years later, the image of a jubilant Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu lacks the same sense of history. With Palestinians cut out of the conversation, they're facing an enforced reality of deepening occupation with little hope for an independent state in the near future. In the words of famed Palestinian poet Mohammed Dawish, the Palestinians are the only nation in the world that feels with certainty that today is better than what the days ahead will hold. Thanks this week to Hugh Lovett, Omar Shaban and Joyce Karam. This was Beyond the Headlines. I'm James Haynes-Young. If you want the latest episodes as soon as they come out, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And while you're there, why not leave us a review? We were produced this week by Aisha Khan. 